0: Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from Exodus 20, verses one through 17. And God spoke all these words saying, "'I am the Lord your God, "'who brought you out of the land of Egypt, "'out of the house of slavery. "'You shall have no other gods before me. "'You shall not make for yourselves a carved image "'or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, "'or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbors. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. We're in the the fifth week of a year long series called the year of the Bible. And to give a quick overview of where we are in the story of the Bible, I'm going to be using some hand motions. If you were in attendance at our uh, event last weekend, walk through the Old Testament, then these will be familiar. Even if you weren't there, you should be able to follow along. So we're going to start in the beginning, which seems like a good place to start. Uh, creation, you can do them if you'd like. Every service has so far. Creation, fall, flood, nations, Abraham. No, sorry, my bad. I jumped to Moses. Abraham, he's grabbing at the stars. Isaac, right, the baby of promise. Jacob, who wrestled with God. And then Joseph, his multicolored collar. And so that's Genesis. And then Exodus, Moses, shepherd staff. Passover, right, paint the door frame. Law, and then tabernacle. So the first 11 of those motions take us from the beginning of time through Exodus, when God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, and he gave them his law, his Ten Commandments at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, our uh, high school director, Jason Riccafranc, is not here today, but he's put all 40 motions of uh, that, that walk through the Old Testament into a hip-hop version, kind of dance thing. So I've encouraged every service so far. When you see him on the patio next week, ask him to do the dance. He'll love that. For the next 25 minutes or so, consider yourself invited to join Moses and the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai. So there's a huge crowd gathered together. Uh, They're not in Egypt anymore, so that's good, but they're not yet to the land that God promised them. They're in the wilderness, and it's there that God speaks to them in an unmistakable way. Uh, By the way, they're not off course. They didn't get lost in the woods They're exactly where God planned for them to be, where they could worship and serve him in the wilderness. If you remember our story from last week, Israel was in slavery to Egypt and God wanted them released. Pharaoh finally did, but it took some encouragement from God in the form of plagues. God's request was granted, but it wasn't just so that they could be free from Egypt, free from Pharaoh. The Lord didn't say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then stop there. Let my people go what? That they may serve me. Where? In the wilderness. That's where they are. They're in the wilderness of Sinai. They're at the base of a mountain. The Red Sea is in their rear view. The land of promise is on the horizon. But they're not there yet. They're in this in-between. And right now they're tired of walking. And they're complaining too, aren't they? Even if Egypt wasn't ideal, we can hear them say, at least we had an address. We knew where to go home at night. I'm sure they're ready to try some new foods, sick of quail and carbo-loading. No more manna, please, God. And we can't forget they've recently lost some family and friends, too, The a battle against this, this foreign people called the Amalekites that they encounter in the wilderness. In other words, it's good to not be a slave anymore, but it's far from an easy life that they have here in the wilderness. This is the setting when Israel sets up base camp at the, mount, at the foot of Mount Sinai, the mountain where God will come and speak to his people, the mountain where God will give his people through Moses, the ten commandments. And just prior to that, God tells Moses to prepare the people for his coming. If you have your Bible open to Exodus, uh, look at chapter 19. If, uh, If you just want to close your eyes and listen, that's fine too. We're going to spend a little bit of time setting this up. Exodus 19 verse 10. We'll start there. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. So prepare yourself, for on the third day, the Lord's going to come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No, No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So the third day rolls around. And even though it's, it's morning, it looks like a dark night. Jump down to verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. It's a frightening scene. We have a few uh, images here of the children of Israel gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. I think, do we have a slide there? There's one. That's yeah, pretty colorful. You see the mountain there? Oh, let's go back to that first one. You see the people and the mountain, and it's kind of this ominous smoke, fire, lightning. Let's see the next picture. There's another one, another artist's uh, depiction of this scene. The lightning bolts are a little more dramatic here. Let's see the third one. This one's actually a photograph that I found online. <laughs> they, they said it was a photograph. I don't know. Now, I like this one, though, because it's black and white, and it's kind of gloomy and dark, and, and you can tell that something bad is up ahead, this storm, this, this what's happening on top of this mountain. Verse 17, Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai is wrapped in smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. The whole mountain trembled greatly, and at the sound of the trumpet, it grew louder and louder. Moses spoke. God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to them, the people can't come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and bring up Aaron with you, but don't let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And this would be a memorable event if you were there. It's not an exaggeration to say that this encounter with God was terrifying to the people, They saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning. They heard the trumpet, the mountain smoking. The people were afraid and, and trembled. Have you ever been so afraid that you actually started to shake? That's, that's all. The people were afraid. They were trembling at the presence of God on the mountain. Why all the theatrics, we might ask? Why the smoke, the lightning, the thunder? Uh, sometimes God comes to people in the silence, doesn't he? He does, but not here. And in my mind, I just imagine that this is God's way of clearing his throat before he says something to his people. <laughs> now that I have your attention, I have a few things to say. I called the message today A Tale of Two Mountains. Uh, we'll get to the other mountain soon enough, but for now we're at this mountain that Israel comes to as they wander in the wilderness. There's an outline in your bulletin and the first... Uh, Major section there, at the foot of Mount Sinai with Moses. After he's got their attention, God says to the people, in essence, let me introduce myself. See that in verse 2? He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And we read that, and I, I think about someone introducing themselves for the first time to an audience. And it seems a little odd, doesn't it? I mean, this is their Lord, their God. Like me getting home from work and my kids are on the couch, they're 15 by the way, and uh, I I walk in and I say, I am your father (laughs) who drives you around and pays for stuff so you can live. (laughs) See, my kids know that already, right? They don't need to be told that. And it's not as if Israel had had not known the Lord their God, but like us, they had short-term memory when it came to God and his works. On their behalf. And and I can imagine what it must have been like for Israel in the wilderness. I I can even relate to this. Don't you see us, God, struggling here? Don't you care for us? Are we going to walk around until we die? Don't you even love us, Lord? Maybe you felt that way before. Don't you even love me, Lord? Don't you even see me? Don't you care? And I just imagine God, like heartbroken, like, do I love you? I made you. And I gave you everything you'd ever need and more. And then after you screwed that up, I I didn't walk away. I never gave up on you, not once. Just recently, when you found yourselves enslaved to that wicked tyrant Pharaoh, you cried out to me, and I heard you and I came to deliver you. Do you remember that? It wasn't that long ago. You were backed into a watery corner, Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his armies, they were getting ready to come and and overwhelm you, swallow you up, but then the sea, it parted, and you walked through dry, you dry, your enemies dead. I did that. I delivered you. I'm your God. Everything I do is for your good. I think that's what the Lord is doing. He's reminding his people of his credentials as he speaks to them about their lives. I have something to say to you here at the mountain, here out in the wilderness, before you enter the land of promise. And what he says in these 10 commands that we heard read, it's not just to help his people with their individual morality, to help them get their best life now. It's much more significant than that. What he says to his people is an invitation to live a certain way, a way that's rooted in God's own life and God's ordering for the world, to be God's people, to display his character in their living for all to see. That's what he's calling them to at the mountain, to live in such a way that others see their God and want to know him for themselves. To live this way would be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. That's why their obedience to God's commands is so important. That's why our obedience today to God's commands is so important. That people would see our God and want to know him for themselves. Again, before we get to the Ten Commandments, I want to point out one more thing that's really key. These commands that we read in Exodus 20 are given by God to a people that He has already redeemed. They're already His covenant people by the time they come to Mount Sinai. Why is that important? Because it helps us avoiding the mistake of thinking that the way we become God's people is through obedience to the law. It's not. Uh, the law, these Ten Commandments being the, uh, the apex or the, the point, the highest point of the law. They show us the way of life for the people of God. Now that Israel has been delivered, this is how they're to live. We have to pay attention to that order. God didn't first give the law and then deliver the people. He first delivered the people from Egypt, from slavery. And then he gave them the law. Deliverance, then law. Deliverance, then command. The law, God's commands, the Old or New Testament, wherever we find God commanding his people, they help set the course for our relationship with God, but they don't establish our relationship with God. They don't don't show us how to earn our relationship with God. After all, we're not saved by the law, not by command keeping or our works. We're saved by faith. God's people are to hear and obey his word, not to get free But to live free, to stay free, keep that in mind as we hear God telling his people, listen up on this stormy day in the wilderness. So he says, listen up, people of God. Verses 3 to 17, God speaks 10 words to his people, uh, words we should all take to heart. You might know how they get broken down sometimes. The first four have to do with relationship to God, the final six with neighbor, or if you like, the first four are vertical commands, kind of the up and down commands, us and God. The final six are horizontal commands, side to side. In the outline, I've imagined God saying, now regarding me, I have four commands for you. And then now regarding your neighbor, I have six more. Uh, before we read through uh, the list, let, let me just acknowledge, we don't have time to work through all of them. We could take each one of them in a, a whole message all 10 of these, but that doesn't mean we can't experience the weightiness of them. After all, they are the words of God. So let's have ears to hear them this morning. We, we can debate how these commands apply to new covenant people, what we do with the Sabbath command. We can debate all that, but let's now just listen to God speak. Anytime God speaks, anywhere in his word, we should have ears to hear So hear the word of the Lord. Now regarding me, the Lord says, these four, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness that is in the heaven above or the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Don't bow down and serve anything else. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it, you shouldn't do any work. After all, the Lord made the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what can we take away from these four, uh, these vertical commands? Well, as it relates to other gods and, or idols, remember, God is unrivaled and supreme. He, and not anything or anyone else, including yourself, your spouse, your children, money, sex, power, status, he and he alone is to be revered and loved and counted on and leaned on and looked to more than anyone or anything else. He's the only one worthy of your everything. After all, he's the one who gave you life and breath and your family and your mind and your senses and every other good thing you have. You didn't do that. Don't don't spend much time thanking and praising yourself or any. God did that, and not any God, not any lowercase g God, but an but a all-caps G-O-D God, that God. Among a mass of options, and there will always be options, God's people are to have singular loyalty to the true and living God. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's hear that this morning. As it relates to the Lord's name God's to be taken seriously. He's not a a filler word when you just can't think of another one, his name. Don't misuse his name. Whenever uh, anyone in our house says God or Jesus, we quickly say, you better be praying, I better be a prayer following that, because we don't take his name in vain. Don't live however you want if you've taken his name to yourself. If you identify as belonging to him, don't take his name to your life in vain if you're not going to live for him. I think that's implied here too. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And then the fourth vertical command as it relates to the Sabbath, don't forget to breathe, people of God. Don't forget you can rest. You can stop even because God is on the job. Trust him. So regarding me, God says those four words. Now regarding your neighbor, I have six. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that your Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. And, and I, as I read through these six, I, I wonder if there's a particular one or two that are really difficult and challenging. I have, I have one. So honor your father and mother. Next, you shall not Murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. What can we take away from those those six horizontal commands? Make time for and consider the welfare of your parents. Learn how to manage your anger, so that it doesn't become murderous. Protect your marriage, prosper, but do so with a clear conscience. Don't cut corners, don't steal. Speak truth and be content. After all, as God's people, you're representing God to the world, so live like it. Well, after God speaks to the people, as you might expect, they fear. It's a pretty common response to to God when he shows up in glory and, and speaks to people. But there's two ways to fear that are in our passage. The first one in 18 and 19 is fear that drives you away from God. And then in 20 and 21, there's a fear that draws you near to God. So, first, the fear that drives you away. Look at verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us. We don't want to die. But then there's the other kind of fear. There's the fear that draws you near. In verse 20, Moses said to the people, Don't fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him May be uh, before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off, but but not Moses. Do you see that? Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. What's the difference between uh, the people and Moses? Between these two kinds of fear? I, I think the difference is what they're focused on. The people, I believe, were focused on their sin. They heard God speak about their worship of him, their treatment of each other, and it caused them to step away because they knew how far they fell short. They saw their sin. Moses, on the other hand, even though he heard the same words, would acknowledge his own sin, he was focused on the Lord, not the lightning bolts. He saw his savior. He walked toward the darkness because that's where God was. We read in Exodus 33 that Moses asked to see God's glory. He wanted to be in the presence of God. He feared God, but it was the kind of fear that drew him near, not the kind that drives you away. May God give us all that kind of fear. Well, that's our first mountain, Mount Sinai, and our remaining time. Let's move on to the second mountain. After all, it's a tale of two mountains, not one. And our second mountain is Mount Zion. And at this mountain, it's not Moses we see, but Jesus. We're at the foot of Mount Zion with Jesus. And listen to the words from this New Testament book uh, called Hebrews. And even if you've never read this book, not familiar with it, this should sound familiar, this description here, because of what we've just gone over the last 20 minutes. 1,500 years after God spoke to his old covenant people at Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, As new covenant people, the church, they hear these words, and we hear them again today. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. That sounds familiar, right? For they couldn't endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So you've not come to that mountain, the author of Hebrews is saying, to the church, the new covenant people of God, but you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to a mountain and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. That's an angel party. Do, do the angels party? Yes. Right there. Right there. Verse 22, 20, yeah, but you've come, 22, it's 22, I see it. You've come to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus. You've come to Jesus. And the way we're supposed to read this passage in Hebrews is like, Oh, we haven't come to that Exodus 1920 experience of God on the mountain, lightning, gloom, thunder, a voice speaking that we say, "Please no more. We can't handle it. Don't touch. Don't we haven't come to that. We've come to a different mountain. We've come to Jesus who can be touched without dying. Who draws near to us. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So you haven't come, if you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you haven't come to Mount Sinai. You've come to this new and better mountain, the Mount Zion. That's where you've come. And Zion, that's really important in scripture. It's synonymous with Jerusalem the place where God would dwell in his temple, God's presence. So the author of Hebrews is saying, if you've come to Jesus, you've come to the very presence of God in human flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. See, Mount Sinai has its place. The law is a gift to the people of God. It is the law is good and holy, Paul says in Romans 7, but Moses can't save you and the law can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. Have you come to Jesus? He's a better mediator than Moses. He's at a better mountain. It's a better covenant. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel because only his blood speaks a word of pardon, of forgiveness. He's the perfect lamb of God who by his sacrifice on the cross, which we celebrate at this table, Takes away the sins of the world. As we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, I think it's appropriate that we would confess our sins together. There's a on the back of the bulletin. There's a prayer, a prayer of confession, and I'll lead us through that in just a moment. But for now, let's just take a, a few moments of silence to consider our great God. How uh, how frightening. His presence must have been to those Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai, but how inviting and wonderful His presence is in in His Son, Jesus, who doesn't wait for us to draw near to Him, but draws near to us. So let's consider this uh, great God we have. This uh, confession of sin, the way it starts is it kind of is like us being at Mount Sinai, but then it, it, it brings us into the presence of the assurance of forgiveness here at the table, Mount Zion, where we come to Jesus. So let's, uh, let's confess our sins together. Let's, let's read this, and I'll, I'll get us started. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. And God says to us, I I will. I will have mercy on you. I will forgive you. Here's my son. We come to the Lord's table. If I could have the ushers come forward who are going to be serving. We, We want to be honest about our sin. We want to confess our sin. But like Moses, we want to move toward God, not away. And here we are, able to receive from the Lord. An early follower of Jesus, Paul, tells us in a letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, The Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, he he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when the bread comes to you, please take a portion of it and hold it and then uh, we'll take it together as